In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event. Big virtual climb sponsored by AbbVie to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first inpatient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. And that baby is gone. Olsen wins it off Hater in the bottom of the 10th inning. And you know where we're going. Pack your bags, folks. All aboard. Next stop, Pound Town. And here's the 1-0 pitch to Matt. Swung on, launched to left field deep. Fam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And a miraculous comeback by the A's in the ninth is capped by Matt Chapman's three-run home run. And the A's have won the game. You're now listening to The Seam Hits with Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, and Rob Bermudez. Only on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's going on, everybody? It's the Seam Heads Podcast. Adam Copeland, Ted Ramey, Rob, the Bermudez Triangle, back talking more baseball. And we have news. We have like real baseball news to discuss, uh, particularly with the Oakland A's, but even wider ranging with Major League Baseball. Joining us now from The Athletic, you see him writing baseball here uh, alongside Ken Rosenthal. Evan Drellick joins us now. Evan, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So we were talking before we got going that it's been a, a busy couple of days for you and, and you and Ken have been all over this stuff. I see him tweeting nonstop. You're retweeting him. He's retweeting you. We got the official offer, the new offer yesterday from uh, from Major League Baseball to the Players Union, and things are still tense. Yeah, there's no question, and it's going to remain tense. Ideally, in the next week or so, they're going to have some sort of resolution, but there's a lot of distrust between these two sides, really dating back years, not during only this set of talks and, and the current pandemic negotiations. So they're not exactly coming to the table with their best and final offer uh, the first go around here. Yeah, I mean, everybody was talking about how negative things seemed yesterday. Do we attribute that to, you know, not coming with their best stuff to the table, A and or B? It could have just been a bad day of negotiations. I've been at the table before. I know that there are bad days which lead to bad sentiment being spread. Well, the specific of what the league was offering is what set the players off. And, and it was a pretty near unanimous response from, from agents as well as players that uh, a, a system where certain players are taking larger pay cuts, and particularly the, the, the best players in the sport, those who are paid the most were, were going to be asked to take the highest pay cuts. The players looked at, looked at that as some sort of attempt to divide them. They thought that the league uh, was trying to pit player against player. Unity in baseball and in, in union settings matters a lot. So the players reacted very poorly to that. And now the question is, what do they come back with? Do they make a counterproposal that includes any sort of a pay cut for, the, for them? beyond what they already agreed to in March? Do they instead propose a deferral? Do they ask for more games to be played? So we're waiting to see what their next step is. 
What do you think the implications of, of this agreement happening are on minor league baseball? Because it's not just the major league baseball players or guys on 40-man rosters that are that are struggling. It's also guys we hear about minor leaguers that are set, potentially with certain teams not getting paid um, once this month is through. Uh, is there any kind of idea that minor league baseball will still have part of a season? Or are we just so focused on let's see what we can do at the major league level and then everything else kind of falls in place underneath that? Yeah, I, I think the assumption for many people at this point is that minor league baseball won't happen this year, frankly, but you know, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about it recently. I think they need to get major league baseball back. And then that might give you something of a blueprint of what could work in minor league baseball toward the end of the season. The problem is minor league baseball depends on the gate to make that business run. You need people in the stands. There's no, uh, they're not making money off of media rights the way major league teams can. So this option of playing without fans, the major league teams have doesn't really exist for the minor league team. So it's not on the back burner for the many, many, many people who are impacted by minor league baseball, but realistically um, you need to see what happens with major league baseball first. And, and no one has officially thrown in the towel at minor league baseball. It just, it doesn't appear great at the moment. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus, and it doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com athletic for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com athletic. I'm wondering what if, if we have an idea of what a path to some sort of resolution or, or some sort of uh, agreement is going to be, because I know from the outlook, uh, you know, fans look at this and it just sounds like they're going back and forth talking dollars and cents. But it was it was refreshing to hear a or read a comment from Andrew Miller, who's part of the, the executive subcommittee uh, in these negotiations uh, yesterday, where he said, look, if this is about getting baseball back on the field for our fans, I'm confident we're going to do it. Do you think that's the general sentiment or does it err on the other side where you were saying in the piece yesterday that uh, that agents were saying, you know, this is the most tense we've ever seen it. I think there's an understanding that it's a negotiation and also a feeling amongst most people that they want to play player, agent, league official, team executive. I mean, go down the list. The, the end goal for most people is baseball. That, that's the way money will, will come into the sport and, and all the obvious things that go along with it. So you can have both of those things be true where the players and the agents look at that proposal and go, this ain't going to work. Hell no. And, and also maintain a feeling of, but we still want it to work. You know, it, 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 they're not mutually exclusive. We saw Brett Anderson tweet out interesting strategy of making the best, most marketable players potentially look like the bad guys. And of course he's referring to the fact that the, the guys who make the most money are going to be taking the biggest hit we saw out of that proposal. Is that sentiment being kind of echoed or in your circles that it, it does kind of put the onus on the biggest names in the game? Yeah, 
I would say basically immediately the, the sentiment that was communicated was something similar to that, that, oh, there goes the league trying to divide players. Now, whether that was the league's intent or not, that's how it's perceived. And when you have enough big name players and agents and, and people at the union who uh, are leery of that approach, you know, never mind the economics argument, and that's a whole other part of it. Um, you know, it's, it's probably not going to fly, regardless of what the intent is from the league. If if it is perceived a certain way, you're not going to get far. Uh, is there any like perceived hangups when it comes to the the health and safety of players? Because it's not just how much money they're making. I know if a player is in their earlier mid twenties, they might not necessarily feel like this could kill them. Um, where more vulnerable people might have that issue, but maybe if they have families or, or young kids that they're worried about, has that in any way, shape, or form been been coming through as like a potential snag, or are they pretty set on the the health and safety aspect and just working on the financials? They have to work on that concurrently, and they are. You know, the league got revisions back from the union on the health protocols. The league also got revisions back on it from the teams. And then, you know, eventually uh, they'll bounce it back the other way, you know, wh whether they send a new full draft. There are further conversations that have to be had on the health front. But the, the feeling is they, they can work it out, you know, that the health protocols aren't going to be the thing that ultimately holds up the season, at least not right now. I, I guess nothing's impossible with these sides. But, you know, if there is a hang up, so to speak, at the moment, it's not in the health protocols. So they have things that, that need to be discussed and change and, and they can have a push and pull there. But the hang up at the moment is money. I think a lot of people are wondering what the what the uh, the layout for the rest of this week or these negotiations look like, because we kept hearing these dates that, like, you know, they wanted to get back out there potentially early June or June 10th to start that spring training too, revenge of the spring trainings. And then they'd get back out there in early July, maybe to start the season. But do we have a path for for if they don't get that done this week or they don't reach an agreement by Friday or or Tuesday of next week or the first of June? What's the date or the the roadmap for how we decide to start a season or that we get to a point where maybe it's too late to do so well it, it, there's a little bit of flexibility in so much as if if let, let's just say they blow past june 1st all right so then spring training is probably delayed whatever amount of time that they blow past it so, I don't know, a week or two so then the start of the regular season is probably delayed a week or two so now you're looking at mid-july instead of early july and then how does that impact how many games you can play and the players are going to want to play as many games as possible for money reasons. And there's also a concern that the length of the season has to feel substantial for awarding a champion. I mean, you know, just, just it, it, you have to look at a regular season as substantive. Um, in 82 games, in my mind, is probably the lowest you want to go with that. It's not that you couldn't do 70. So, you know, to say there's a hard deadline, yeah, I guess at some point, if they don't have a deal, you start looking at the calendar and saying, we can't play a long enough regular season without infringing on like January or December and, and ruining everybody's winter rest ahead of 2021 to make this worthwhile for a variety of reasons. So, if they want July 1st or July 4th in that area, which they do, they need to move 
relatively quickly. If they can stomach pushing it back a little bit, I guess they can drag their feet, but there, there doesn't seem to be a ton of time to play with on that. Well, well, let me ask you this then. So maybe, maybe not so far out to June, but even, well, I know we're, we're coming right up on June, but let's, let's go to this week then. Are they just doing virtual meetings? Are they in these all day? Is it Tony Clark talking to MLB? What, what's the deal and, and what, how are these negotiations going down for this week? I, I, I'm not aware of every single phone call. Certainly. Um, the league and the union had their meeting. Then what happens at that point is they basically regroup on their own. You know, the, the players, the first step for the players after that meeting was to talk to what well, the first step for the union. I'm saying the players to me in the union, but the first step for the union after that meeting is to talk to the membership, to talk to players about what the proposal was and what the next steps are. And, and then they formulate a counter proposal on their side. So presumably today was mostly internal discussions. And then uh, next few days over the weekend, at some point, you, you would think in a matter of days, something goes back to the league, be it a yes, a no, a rejection with a counterproposal, whatever it might be. Uh, but, but the immediate aftermath to this point is really internal discussions. C- color me naive, if you will, but NASCAR's back. The NHL has put out their platform of how they think they're going to return if they have enough tests to make it happen. If time is of the essence, and we assume that it is, why wouldn't both sides just kind of cut the BS and lay out what they need to have happen just so that they don't lose out on what they could potentially continue to lose out on by not having baseball come back? I mean, baseball has, it's not America's pastime anymore. NFL's taken over as the as the king of the sports world in America. Why not just kind of make it happen. Why not have a little bit more of alacrity or kind of make haste now considering other leagues are already putting forth their plans? Well, the, the question might be most prudent once they're up. If they get to a point, let's say a week or two from now, where it's clear, if you want to start July 1st or July 4th, right around there, you got to do it now or you're, you're pushing it back. I think that's the moment where that question becomes um, most relevant because Right now, it's clear they're dug in on their sides and they're going to play this thing out to the best of their leverage-creating ability. Uh, you know, and that goes back to the distrust that, that they have for each other. And it does mean that when crunch time arrives, they're probably not going to have a lot of bandwidth to play with. They're going to have to get it done or, or not. You know, it's, it's not, it, there's not going to be a, a cushion at that point. But Right now, silly as it sounds, a week, week and a half to go, you know, they still have a little bit of a cushion. Is there any indication of big changes being um, like on the horizon? Uh, we know there's going to be not 162 games, but are, are any indication of expanded rosters? And if so, do we know roughly how many players? And does it seem like they're going to be keeping the same scheduling, just like, you know, games start on this date, so we'll keep the schedule. Are we looking at alignment of three 10-team divisions? Yeah, so the East in the National League would play the East in the National League and the American League, so you're doing it geographically. Um, roster size. Yeah, so, no, it, it's definitely going to be expanded, and that goes back to the minor league baseball question. If there's no minor league baseball, um, well, where are the players that you need to call on for injury or, or, uh, or simply depth? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
that will be with the team. Um, it's probably going to be a 45 man roster and not everybody would be active on a given day, but you're basically keeping a taxi squad with you for whatever you might need injuries or otherwise. Um, and you know, that that's, an, an added wrinkle there, does that mean guys are going to get service time who wouldn't have gotten it otherwise? Are they going to get paid as though they're major leaguers every day, even if they're not on that active 25-man roster? They already might have a sense of that. Um, I don't have the answer to it yet, but that, it, it creates some interesting choices for teams. We appreciate the time today, Evan, man. We'll, uh, we'll keep reading you in The Athletic, and the, uh, the insight has been good. I know that we've all been following this, and everybody's got questions, so we appreciate you giving us uh, shedding some light on that. We can follow you on Twitter as well, at Evan Drellick, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you down the line, man. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, fellas, something to keep in mind is we're getting ready to get back out there, which means uh, getting your hair cut, means getting maybe some new clothes on to get back out there and meet some ladies. It definitely means starting to smell good again. How long has it been since you put on cologne during this pandemic? You still wearing that Old Spice that, uh, that your ladies think smells like their dads? Or maybe you're still wearing some of that polo blue that your girlfriend got you in high school. Nonetheless, smelling good is important, and Hawthorne smells really good. By the way, Hawthorne, extremely easy to get. Here's how it works. You take a quick two-minute quiz at Hawthorne, and it tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play, guys. Totally free with risk-free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and a .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Yeah, good insight from Evan. Um, I think we've all, all had questions. We've all been sort of sort of beat down over the last day. We get encouraged and we get discouraged. And uh, and we keep feeling like maybe we're getting closer and closer to a resolution. And then uh, the players shoot it down again. So um, he, and, he and Ken Rosenthal have been all over this stuff for the last couple of days. And, uh, and as he said, he, he's not totally sure of how the rest of this week plays out. I'm still hopeful. But uh, but as we were talking about that June 1st deadline, the the opportunity to get back out there by June 10th is is quickly approaching. Yeah, that's the thing is like you're running out of time. And that's why I asked him about the idea, like, like, you know, why not recognize that time is of the essence? And like I said, especially because the NHL is back. NASCAR is already back. The NWSL is, is coming back. Like there are other sports organizations coming back that are making things happen. And right now, baseball is getting caught up in a very bad look um, with the players and the owners, even though I'm always going to side with the players and blame the owners because that's just how I am. But right now with some of the stuff that's going on with the A's and what might potentially happen if this season doesn't happen, it's going to be a worse fallout than the, the 94 strike. I mean, that's I just I think this has the potential to go very, very bad very, very quickly. And baseball cannot afford to have another situation like that because you know, 35 unemployed Americans, 100,000 dead, and they're arguing over the, the financials. And I get that. 35 million unemployed, yeah, not 35 no, unemployed. 35 <laughs> million unemployed. Thank you. Yes. Um, but like, I get it. Like, that's like, even if I do side with the players and not the owners, I understand why many Americans are going to look at this and be like, you know, screw these guys. Like, I, we're, we're out here fighting for our livelihoods, and these guys are fighting over, you know, millions of dollars. It's, it has the potential to be very, very bad. It's such a shitty situation, and it's it's so unfortunate because there are a lot of people, myself included, I look to go, I watch sports, and I get away from the world, and it's like a stress release for, for me. So I'm really like agitated and angry these days, but it's just, 
it's so ridiculous to me that these owners make so much money and when the, they're making like record revenue coming in they're they're making money hand over fist the valuations of their their teams are skyrocketing they don't give an extra penny to any of those players so the one single season that they might lose some money they're saying we got to stop everything we already had a collectively bargained agreement but we're going to stop it so that you can make less money so that we don't lose as much money that's a slap in the face and if i'm a player i'm pissed even if i want to come back and play baseball i don't want to send the message that okay well if you start losing money then you can start just saying well you know because things are a little different for us we're going to ask from the players if you give them an inch they're going to take a mile and the fact that every four years they got to collectively bargain they got to come to the table and meet and there's always concessions i could see why players are hesitant to give anything up and, and I don't disagree with them. I'll jump in before Copes does, but that's the problem is there's nothing incorrect with what you said, but, and Copes, maybe you can speak to this, but the public perception of that is going to be God awful. Oh, it's going to be terrible. They're, everyone's going to say it's these rich players. They're getting paid to play a game, but you have players who have a limited window of time that they can play and make money. And you have owners who don't have that same time limitation to how many years they can play. They can be owners for decades and decades and keep raking in money hand over fist. And the fact is, if you come to an agreement, I still think that the players shouldn't even have to take a prorated salary. You know, if, if owners are upset that they're losing money, well, we don't have the revenue, you, you are billionaires. And if you can't afford to take one season of a, of a big loss like that, should you really be an owner of a professional sports franchise? If you're willing to screw over your labor because you, you want to make sure that you're okay, you're going to be just fine. And the other thing, too, is I would like to see, in an ideal situation for me, the owners pay not a prorated salary. They pay full salaries for these players. They pay minor leagues, minor leaguers a living wage for once in their damn lives. And on top of all this, if you want to say, okay, these players are being greedy, I'd like to see the players get their full salary and say, look, we were going to take a prorated salary. So if instead of making $5 million, I'm going to make $10 million this year, I'm going to donate two or three of, or even all five of those million to the workers who are working in stadiums, to the producers of video content, to the ushers who are suffering. There are people that are really heavily affected by this at the major league level and the minor league level. And the fact that greed is the thing that, that I think we're all upset about, I think greed is the biggest issue. We're just misplacing our anger and saying it's these players' fault because they're these millionaires. We should all be screaming at these billionaires to own up and, and run run it like a business that can actually take a loss instead of being just just completely escaping all responsibility. Well, I, I think a lot of people are now that you've seen what A's owner John Fisher has done in the last day, and that's say that they're going to furlough tons of employees. They're going to uh, cut salary for employees who have an over $60,000 a year salary, and they're not going to pay minor leaguers $400 uh, a, a month or a week. Was it a week? 400 a week. Them, I guess 400 a week. So I think Jeff Passan and Ed crunched the numbers yesterday uh, as we record this on Wednesday and said um, that if you were going to run through the 200 minor leaguers and pay them each $400 a week for the rest of the season comes out to a about a million bucks. It's it's on par with what the A's decided a couple weeks ago. They weren't going to pay the stadium authority. So I don't think anybody's totally shocked by that. But I think the way Jeff Passan put it was was pretty perfect in that um, this is a Rorschach test. There's two ways for people to look at this. And, and Rob, I understand the anger and the frustration. I also don't fault people who see it the other way that we do, which is you can see this as players are getting paid $8 million, even the ones that are making 35 to play a game for three months 
or you can look at it the way we're looking at it as, as union guys or as, as uh, supporters of the players and say, you're asking somebody to give up 80% of their salary. Now, I look at it from that angle, but that tells you a lot about how different fans view these players and the outlook uh, from baseball. But but if we dive a little bit deeper into this Oakland A's stuff, just because we should, as we are the uh, the A's podcast here on The Athletic, the Seamheads, this news yesterday that John Fisher uh, comes out and, and really, Ted's texted me when this happened, when the A's had announced um, that they were not going to continue to pay the minor leaguers. And he said, how crazy is it that this is like the first public statement from John Fisher as A's owner who bought the team back in 2005 uh, with Lou Wolf um, for $180 million, by the way, the team valued today at $1.2 billion. Uh, so to your point, this is small potatoes. This is this is absolutely terrible that they're going to have their scouts work for them through the scouting period, which is into the draft window. And then right after the draft is done in a couple of weeks, they're going to be furloughed. It's a uh, t- to Rob's point, if you can't fork over a million bucks, well, the the rest of teams have, have been pretty open about paying their minor leaguers. I saw a slew of them came out today saying they're going to get paid through the month of June. Some of them are going till the end of the season. Some are going month to month. But the A's are the first now to say they are not getting paid. And that effectively ends the season for these minor leaguers unless they make it to a major league roster. I think the Angels have also done similar things with massive uh, furloughs and, and right. I'm talking. Come, I'm talking uh, minor league pay cuts. The the the, the Angels and Artie Moreno. He's a scumbag in and of himself. So he's. I mean, he's he's cutting salary and furloughing uh, employees himself. And that's. I get that. It's happening in in businesses across the country. It's the minor league one that that is rough for me. It's four hundred dollars a week for guys who are living. It, it, like I, I wonder about the guys who came over internationally. Right? How many of these guys are sending money back home? You're a minor leaguer from Venezuela, or the Dominican Republic. You're not over here making thirty five million dollars. I think Sluster actually actually tweeted um she said the a's also have not furloughed a handful of scouts and minor league staff who are on visas or have other legal issues based on their residency okay so good to know because benefits yeah. stay as well they are keeping benefits yeah uh, as well um so there is some factor but again ted just your thoughts when you heard this john fisher thing yesterday yeah i mean i always it, it doesn't surprise me i mean this is kind of what how the a's are and i like like listen like there's a part of me that understands it because businesses do not run by spending money when they're not making money and you don't become a billionaire by practicing bad business. That said, you have to be able to weather a storm and for him right now, he can do that because he's got the value and he's got the team and he's got the potential stadium on the horizon. So he can say, you know what? I'm just going to weather the bad press right now. And I think that was one of the reasons why he put out the letter yesterday. Smart man absolves all the blame. It's not like anybody's putting any of this on Dave Cavill or blaming, you know, Billy Bean or any any of these things. It's all going to John Fisher because he's saying, I have the financial wherewithal to absorb this bad PR and I'll be able to do what I need to do when everything's lined up again for me to make the money. I mean, I again, I hate to always come back to the business aspect of it and how it's the equity values and how it's not the year in year out money. But I think he's looking at it right now. He's saying, I'll make this statement. I'll absorb it all because in three, five, seven years, if there is a stadium, this will have been the best play for him. And that's, I mean, again, that's, it's not a feel good story by any means, but I I think that's kind of what he tried to do by putting out that letter. He's putting or taking on all the blame. It just, again, to me, it's, it's so pathetic to me that A's fans have to deal with this because think about how how many fans are out there who already get the jokes of, oh, you got low payroll, oh, you're going to trade your players, and then this bad PR comes out, and you're thinking, if, if you're a Major League Baseball player, are you going to want to sign with the A's in free agency? 
If you're a minor how about, league, how about player, if you're a minor league? New draft yeah. that's coming out. There's going to be five rounds. Everything else after that is there's a cap of twenty thousand dollars per player, right? But it's essentially free agency. Who in their right mind is a minor leaguer is going to say this team that just said they're not even going to give their minor leaguers four hundred dollars a week? We're we're going to sign with them? I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and I think it it harms the on the field team maybe if it, it doesn't harm them at this exact moment but when you talk about drafting when you talk about if you're matt chapman if you're matt olson are you really gonna th- maybe think a little bit harder about signing a long-term extension because you know this is an ownership group that's been i'm not gonna say it's nothing but it's been cheap it's been a cheap ownership and you can say well they haven't had the revenue or whatever but the fact of the matter is they're not willing to put their money where their mouth is and if i'm a star player and i know i have a limited amount of time how the hell am i going to fault any of these players for asking for more money it's just ridiculous that again a's fans deserve better and it's it's sickening greed across it's not just john fisher I know we're we're piling on him right now because this is an A's podcast, but just in general, I'm just so sick of these owners who can make money and and say, oh, we deserve to make all this money because we take on all this risk. And then a little bit of risk comes up and they might lose some money and then all of a sudden they want to be bailed out when people like you and me are are suffering because of it. When there's people like I, I just I am so frustrated that this is even an issue and of course it would be less of an issue if john fisher wasn't like the first person again it's it's like the optics of this are so bad and we're a franchise with a fan base that has been shit on so many times this is not what we needed and i just i feel for all you a's fans out there i feel for you i feel your anger i feel your pain and i i am sorry because this sucks well, you're not the one who needs to apologize. I mean, <laughs> you, you didn't you didn't do anything. It's uh, I think I think bottom line here is and and talking about you know pissing off fans or making fans unhappy when an owner buys a team. Um, there's a business aspect to it, right? There's that element where the players know and the and the the uh, the guys on the team know and the people in the front office know this is a business and guys can get fired and that's the way it goes. But the fans are not really part of the business except for showing up to the game and and forking over money for your hot dog. The fans you've reached an agreement with by taking over the team and saying we're going to do our best to win a championship and when you don't do that you end up looking like either the way that that uh fisher's looking now which is either as the the owner of the cleveland indians in major league or for a more close to home comparison ted i think you got to be with me on this one john fisher to me is a whole lot of chris cohan in him dude not forking over money he's got the money he doesn't show up he doesn't show face and i'm okay with him saying yeah i'm gonna put this this uh, uh note out to the fans and and try to own the brunt of this but maybe a little too late for that right i mean you've been you've been running Dave Cavill out there as the face of this thing forever and uh and now he stands up in a way that that is is uh, it doesn't make any fan feel good about I think about being a fan of this team and I think in so many words that's what Rob was getting at but unlike Chris Cohan John Fisher has yet to literally run away from the media fair enough fair enough Chris <laughs> Cohan I mean dude had courtside seats and I don't think he ever sat in them you'd never see that guy show up but you know that's that's the frustrating thing is you know I saw on Twitter so much yesterday people saying you know this guy's got a billion dollars he's valued at 2.1 and I go yeah that's great and all that but it's more to me about how much value the team has picked up he bought them again in 2005 for 180 and they're now worth 1.1 billion dollars so uh, they can cry poor all they want but the, the numbers just don't add up uh, it's been a, a heavy week of baseball stuff just as far as the news is concerned 
concerned. So I guess we're hoping we get a little smoother sailing weekend. And then hopefully when we get into next week, we'll have a little more clarity because uh, more stuff is coming back, man. You're seeing the NPB, the Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan, is getting ready to come back. They're going to start playing games in June without fans. So right around the corner. And yet baseball has fallen behind yet again. So uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you'd like to get a free 90-day trial of The Athletic, would be great to read some of those pieces from Alex Coffey and Evan Drellick. Go to theathletic.com slash seamheads. You can get a free 90-day trial and check out all the great stuff that The Athletic has to offer. Uh, And we'll talk to you guys next week.